All right, welcome everyone. I'm so glad that you guys are here today. My name is Matt Wolf. I'm the lead pastor here at Arise Church, and we're all about helping people follow Jesus. So today we want to help you take some steps following Jesus. If you're joining us online, welcome. I love you. Glad you're here. And in person, love you guys too. I just get to maybe give you a hug afterwards too. I can't hug you online. I wish I could. I really wish I could. Just imagine me giving you a big hug across the camera there, wherever you are. Well, welcome everybody. Um, I remember back in 2019, we found out that this building that we um, own, the Hangar 61, it's a historic building, we found out that it had a structural damage in one of the pillars that was leading up to the roof. And I remember that time because I'm like, that's a big deal because if it, like, the roof falls, we all die, right? That's, that's a big deal. Like, we got to get this fixed. And as we got the engineers looking at it and we're working with the contractor, like, the price ballooned up to about a quarter million dollars to fix this roof. And we were starting to raise the funds, and then 2020 hit, right? And there was nobody here. And I remember, like, I was in the room by myself preaching to myself. And I'm like, who's even watching this? Does anybody get to give? Because on top of our normal budget, I'm asking people to give a quarter million dollars to fix a building that they're not even in anymore. And I was like, how are we going to make it through this? And I remember worrying about it, stressing about it, because I'm human like you are. And I talked with Melissa about it, and she's like, Matt, it's going to be okay. Have you ever had someone tell you that? And I'd like to say at that moment, I just was like totally peaceful, but I was like, how do you know? Right? Have you ever said that when somebody's like, it's going to be okay, everything's going to work out? You're like, how do you know? Like, how long is it going to take? And, and those questions, if you've ever asked that question or something like it, you know what I'm talking about. And I'm going to tell you that this message today is for you. So maybe you're in a moment right now in your life and you're like, how is God going to get me through this layoff? through this financial hardship, through this depression that seems to keep going on? How is he going to help me get over the death of someone I love? And when we think about these difficulties that we're going through, and we wonder how, how long is it going to last? How can he do this? We, we hear a promise like something in the Bible that says, in all things God works for the good of those who love him, and we wonder, how the heck is he going to pull that off? I don't see it. How could things get better? So if that's you, or, or maybe you're thinking about it for our nation you think, or, or some of the things internationally, like, oh my gosh, how, how are we going to get out of this? Are we headed to a recession, more layoffs? Um, what are we, like the president, like what is going on with our country? What's with our world? There's earthquakes, there's spy balloons flying everywhere that are getting shot down every other day. We wonder, how are we going to get through this? But whether you're talking about your story, our nation, or our world, let me tell you this powerful truth that we're going to learn today from scripture. It's that history is his story. Pretty simple, but history is his story. And if you learn this truth from the scriptures and begin to believe it, it will transform you when you're in those parts of your life where you're like, I don't know how God can work this story out for good. But history is his story, and we're going to learn that today from Daniel chapter 8. So we are in the second week in this series that we're calling Behind the Scenes. We've been actually going through the, the biblical book of Daniel. And the first half of Daniel we covered in the fall. And that's the part that if you've ever been to church, you've maybe heard that part. Because that's like Daniel and his friends, they go on a vegan diet. And then they get thrown in the lion's den. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Benny are going thrown in the fire. Like, oh yeah, I remember those stories. Like people have heard those before. But the second half of Daniel gets weird. It gets weird because Daniel has this series of visions where God kind of pulls the curtains back. And we get a peek behind the scenes into the future and into the supernatural. And we're going to get that glimpse, which is actually going to help us today in our stories because we get to learn to trust the author 
of all of human history, because history is his story. So if you have a Bible, open with me to Daniel chapter 8. If you have a smartphone, you can download the YouVersion Bible app. And if you're on there, on the bottom right-hand corner of that app is a button that says More. And right in the middle, you can find the event and find a Rice Church Denver. Right there at the very top, if you have uh, your location services enabled. <laughs> okay, and then you can save the notes, save the scripture right there on your phone. But we'll be in Daniel chapter 8. And I'm going to go ahead and start reading in verse 1. Daniel 8, 1. We read, in the third year of King Belshazzar's reign, I, Daniel, had a vision after the one that had already appeared to me. So Daniel now has a second vision that God gives him about the future. Just so you can kind of get a timeline of what's going on here. If you've missed some of this series, back in 605 BC, Daniel and a lot of people from Israel, God's people living in Jerusalem, were taken as slaves, captives, and taken thousands of miles away to live in the empire of Babylon in the capital city. Daniel was probably a teenager when he was captured. So now, um, through the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, and now into the reign of this king Belshazzar, um, he starts to have these visions. The first one was in 550 BC, and the second one is 548 BC. So if you're doing the math, Daniel is probably in his late 60s, early 70s now. And he's lived his entire life under the Babylonian regime in this rule in a, in a country that's not his own, in a language that's not his own. And here God speaks to him this second time. And in this vision, um, Daniel has, he actually gets transported in his vision from Babylon, the capital city of the Babylonian Empire, to Susa, which would soon, within a decade, become the capital of the Persian Empire. So he finds himself like translocated in his dream to this new city in, in basically a, a foreign nation. And there he begins to see some crazy stuff. Daniel, the second half of Daniel gets weird. So we're just going to own that because he begins to see these things. And in these dreams, if you've read these biblical dreams, a lot of times there's animals and they represent things. I said, and I compared it to nations last week, like bald eagle is America. It's also like our football teams, right? We all do that. Um, okay, if you hear Colorado, University of Colorado, if you hear CU, what animal do you think of? Buffalo, right? Okay, if you hear Colorado State, you hear... Go Rams! Okay, who else here is a fellow Rammy in here? Anybody? Yeah, let's represent. Go Rams! Okay, and in case you're wondering, Rams are God's chosen animal, and hence that's why Daniel's going to see a ram first in his vision. And there is no buffaloes in this vision. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But he, yes, Daniel has this vision. The first animal he sees in his mind is a ram. And it says this ram is coming and he's trampling on everything in his path to the east, to the north, and to the south, meaning he's coming from the west. I'm sorry, from the east. He's coming from the east. Here he's coming from the east, this ram. And he comes and he has two big horns, but Daniel sees that one of his horns on his head is bigger than the other one. So what's interesting in this chapter is he has this vision in the first half of the chapter. And in the second half of the chapter, still in his vision, an angel comes to him and explains to him every crazy thing he's just seen. So we actually are pretty clear on what this ram represents. There's no guesswork because the angel tells him that this represents the kingdom, the empire of Medo-Persia. Which we know, if you've ever heard anything in history, maybe you can remember back to high school history class, this is the Persian empire. 
It was actually two kingdoms before, and at first the Medes were probably a bigger empire, but when they came together, the Persians eventually dominated, and that's why we remember them as the Persian Empire. And that's why one horn is bigger than the other. So here is this ram, this nation coming onto the scene, destroying what till that point was the biggest empire the world had ever seen, the Babylonian Empire. And Persia comes in and tramples all over it. Now you may be wondering, who cares, okay? Why do we care about this animal, this ancient empire that I barely remember from history class? Well, I'll tell you why. Because history is his story. And what's interesting is that under the Babylonian Empire and every empire before that, when they conquered, they thought their God had won. That's why they took God's people from Israel and they weren't supposed to worship anymore. They destroyed the temple to our God. You can't worship there anymore. You have to worship our gods. And, and that's why like, people are getting thrown in the fire, right? Because they're not worshiping the God that the Babylonians want them to. And that's what was normal. Like, you have to worship our gods, not yours anymore. We won. But when the Persians come, it's a brand new thing. They practice something called religious tolerance. You might think, of course. It's like, no, 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 that was a brand new idea in those days. And it wasn't quite religious freedom that we practice today, but it was tolerance. We'll let you do what you want. Our God is still better than your God, but, but we'll let you worship the way you want. So because that happened, God's people now for the first time in decades are able to worship openly their God again. And the emperor of Persia says, hey, if you want to go back to Israel, that's fine. This is amazing that an emperor is like, yeah, if you want to go back home, you've been living in a foreign country for a while, go back home. And what's even more interesting, if you read the biblical books of Ezra and Nehemiah, you know that the Persian Empire even funded the rebuilding of the temple. He's giving money so that they can go worship their God. This means God used Persia to bring his people back home. So that the temple that was still around in Jesus' day was rebuilt because of an evil emperor. And I really want you guys to see this. In Isaiah chapter 45, God makes it very clear how he works. He says, this is what the Lord says to his anointed, to Cyrus, who was the emperor of Persia. His anointed, whose right hand I take hold of to subdue nations before him. God is calling this evil emperor, this bad dude, his anointed one. That's the same language it talks about with like King David or Jesus himself, the anointed one, the chosen one. God is saying, I have chosen this bad guy to accomplish my purpose. And that is exactly what God does again and again. He uses bad people. They might even have evil intentions, but God intends it for good. I'm telling you this because there are some bad, time, bad people that we look at. Sometimes in our nation, we're like, oh my gosh, that president was awful. Okay? We, we say, oh my gosh, how could that, that thing ever happen? And then God uses that person for good. You guys ever seen this? Maybe you see it in your company, a CEO or a boss. Or maybe it's a bad parent that you grew up with. And you look at your life and you think, oh my gosh, that person has done so many bad things to me or to us. The, the trauma that I went through because of that abusive parent. And, and, and yet God still can use that for his good purposes. There is no bad person that God cannot use for good. He does this again and again and again. And that's why we can look at a dream like this because that's what actually happened. God foretold so that we know for sure he was controlling history the whole time. Just like he's controlling your story. History is his story. He's working in it even through bad people. Even through bad people. And through circumstances as well. 
That's the first animal Daniel sees. The second animal Daniel sees is a goat. And we're not talking about the goat, right? We're not talking about Tom Brady, definitely not LeBron James. Um, we're talking about a goat. We're talking about a goat. And here comes this goat on the scene. And this goat is kind of funny looking because he only has one horn coming out from his forehead. One giant horn coming out. And this goat starts coming from the east this time. Okay, I do mean the east. Coming from the east, and he starts trampling over everything in his way, gearing up to have a head-on confrontation with the ram. Okay, so here are these. If you've ever seen that, two rams going at it. Okay, this is about to happen. This goat is charging headfirst towards the ram, and boom, there's a big smash right in the middle as they crash together, and the ram is defeated, and the goat tramples over him and has defeated the ram, just like what happened to CSU in every football game this last season, right? Okay, the ram is defeated. This goat, representing a new nation, has come in and destroyed the Persian Empire. I'm sure this would have blown Daniel's mind. He's like, already the Babylonians are the greatest empire to ever live. How crazy it'll be that one empire can come in and win, let alone somebody come in and destroy the destroyer. How is that going to happen? But the angel later in the chapter tells him, names this nation. It's no guesswork. He says, this goat represents Greece. The nation, the empire of Greece will come in and take out the Persians. Will take out the Persians. Well, why is that interesting? Because of how crazy the circumstances are that make it happen. So the one horn means the one great king who was Alexander the Great, who united all these different um, groups of people from Macedon and, and what's modern day Greece, and he ended up conquering all the Middle East all the way to modern India. Just as um, a 20-something-year-old um, general, he took over all that land, destroyed the Persians. And what's crazy is this story that, that's told by historian, Jewish historian Josephus, about how it happened. <clears throat> so Alexander the Great goes into Israel. This is one of the countries that he wanted to take over. And he's coming into Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, like they just have their religious freedom, they just have the temple reset up. And they're like, oh, great, another emperor coming in. They're fearful, they're worried about it, and they don't know what to do. But the high priest, who was really the leader of the entire nation at this time, the high priest has this dream. The night before Alexander's supposed to march into the city, he has a dream, and in the dream, he, he's told by God to open up the gates and let Alexander the Great in. So instead of fighting, instead of trying to, to put up a battle, he does that. And he, what he does is he gets himself in his priestly robe, which was purple because he was the high priest. He makes everybody else wear these white robes, and they go out to the front gate of the city, and they open it wide as Alexander the Great comes in. And when he comes down, they kind of bow down to greet him and welcome the king, and the, Alexander the Great does the same thing in return. And then he asks the high priest, can I offer a sacrifice to your God, Yahweh, our God, the God of the Bible? Now here's this pagan emperor who, who thought himself like the son of an Egyptian god himself and worship all sorts of other gods. But when he comes into Jerusalem, he's like, I'm going to worship the one true God. And he does. He and the high priest offer a sacrifice to our God. Now, this is incredible. And the high priest is like trying to figure out what's going on. And he says, well, I had a dream. See, Alexander had had a previous dream, and he saw in the future coming into a city, being welcomed in the gates, and somebody wearing a purple robe who would let him in. He had this dream, so he's like, when I came in, I knew it was a sign telling me that I would be able to defeat the Persian Empire. 
And the high priest says, well, you know, that's really weird, because in addition to my dream, we actually have something written about this. And he pulls out his scroll of the scriptures to guess what? The book of Daniel. Because that had all happened 300 years before Daniel wrote this. They open up the scroll, and it says to the book of Daniel, and I'm guessing to this chapter. And he tells him that there will be someone from Greece who will come in and destroy the Persians. And Alexander says, that's just the confirmation I needed. He goes off to war and defeats the Persians. All of those coincidences, pretty crazy, right? It's almost as if God wrote the story ahead of time to make all those weird things tie together, all those loose ends. And that's what God does. He works in the most bizarre ways. Maybe you've seen this in your life. There's just something that's like so coincidental. It doesn't make sense. You run into that person when you're on the other side of the world, and you're like, how did I run into that person? How did I see that person who happened to live right next door to me? And they said the thing that I exactly needed to hear right at that moment. God works in those coincidences because it's his providence. He's working in those situations, in those circumstances. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him. He's weaving it all together. He's weaving together history. And what's even cooler is just like the Persians allowed religious freedom to rebuild the temple, the Greeks now bring in a written language and they have the entire empire learn a new written language. Do you know why that's important? Do you know what language the New Testament is written in? Greek. The reason why the Bible and the gospel of Jesus Christ was able to spread so quick was because of the Greek empire bringing in this new language and forcing the entire empire to learn it. It's almost like God was writing this story, right? He knew that the Greek empire had to come in for that to happen. But then things get a little worse. Because uh, what Daniel sees in his vision, yes, there's this goat with one horn, but pretty soon after he defeats the ram, this one horn falls off. And in its place, four horns come out. And that's what happened in history. Alexander the Great, at age probably 32 or 33, at the height of his empire, died. And after some squabbling, the entire empire was divided into four different quadrants. Those four horns, once again, fulfilling prophecy. And Daniel then sees one of these four horns start to grow bigger and bigger and bigger. And that horn goes now into the temple. So the scene kind of changes. He was in Susa, you know, that city. And now he's in the temple. And in the temple, this horn comes in and attacks God's people and throws the truth down on the ground and begins to trample over it. It does some other crazy stuff that we'll talk about in just a second. So Daniel sees this vision, like who is this horn? Well, as we, we've seen last week, the horns, uh, which is a symbol of strength, also represent kings. So if Alexander was the first king with the first horn, now this horn, who was it that was to come? Well, actually, this too was fulfilled. Not just a few hundred years, but now over 400 years after Daniel wrote his prophecy in 167 B.C. 167 B.C., there's this little king of one of those four quadrants of the Greek empire named Antiochus IV Epiphanes. That was the name he gave himself, Epiphanes. Does anybody know what that means? It means God manifest. The epiphany, the appearance of God. He said, I'm God in the flesh. So talk about an ego, right? So he comes in, 
thinking he's all that, and he wants to grow and become stronger and rule over everything, and he is this evil horn that comes at the end. And what Antiochus does is he wants to rule over everyone, and when he hears that the Jews are trying to get some freedom while he's away, he marches into Jerusalem, and he slaughters 40,000 men, women, and even infants. Kills them. Takes another 40,000 as his slaves. And then he marches into the temple that belongs to our God, and he desecrates it. He takes down so there's no more light, that there has been light running every single day. He stops the sacrifices that have been going every morning and evening for generations. He um, takes some of the scrolls where God's word is written on. He tears it and puts throat, ta- tramples over it on the ground. And then he sets up this big statue, an idol, to Zeus. Then he takes a pig... And he slaughters the pig on the altar, which, if you know anything about Jewish culture, is not kosher. Okay? That's not okay. It's sacrilegious. And he forces the high priest to eat that pork. That's what Antiochus Epiphanes does, fulfilling this prophecy. That God foretold something massively evil. One of the worst things that ever happened in Israel's history was going to take place almost 400 years ahead of what Daniel saw it. And it happened. It happened. It's history. God is writing his story, and sometimes things get bleak. And if you're only wondering, like, well, how long is this going to happen? That's exactly what Daniel would have wondered, and it's what the angels wondered, too. This is interesting. In verse 13, I want you to see this. Daniel says, then I heard a holy one, this is a supernatural being, an angel, who was speaking, and another holy one said to him, how long? How long will it take for the vision to be fulfilled? The vision concerning the daily sacrifice, the rebellion that causes desolation, the surrender of the sanctuary, and the trampling underfoot of the Lord's people. Even the angel wants to know, like, how long is this evil going to be allowed to operate in the world? That someone who is so wicked and terrible that can decimate God's people, set up this abomination in the temple. How long is that going to happen? And I think that's the same question we ask sometimes. How long? How long are things going to be this bad? How long is the economy going to be like this? How long are we going to allow people to worship Satan at the Grammys, right? How long is evil going to exist in a world? How long are we going to let sin operate and there to be mass shootings and deaths around us? How long is this bad thing going to happen in my life? How long will I have this cancer? And that question we ask again and again and again. Now Daniel gets to hear an answer to this bad thing that happens. Verse 14. He said to me, one of these angels, it will take 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary will be reconsecrated. Now, why I find this fascinating. Now, people debate whether 2,300 evenings and mornings means 2,300 days. It's kind of like the natural reading. But I actually think it means evening and then morning. Like, so those are one each because it's the evening and the morning sacrifices in the temple. How long will those sacrifices stop? And if you divide that then by half, that's 1,150 days, Right? It's tracking with me. So that's just over three years. The angel says, for just over three years, there's going to be this evil happening. Well, if you look historically at the time when Antiochus came in and stopped the sacrifices in the temple, to when a rebellion took place called the Maccabean 
revolt. If you've ever studied history, that's where the celebration of Hanukkah comes from, when they went back into the temple, reconsecrated, and lit the candles again for the first time in the temple. That was just over three years. That God had predicted hundreds of years before this, to the day, how long that evil would happen. See, God allows sometimes some very bad things to happen in the world. But it's only for a time. He has put a limit on how he will allow evil to operate in this world. How long bad things will happen. So all suffering, all trials, all evil will have an end. It's already foreordained. And though we don't get to know how long ours is going to last. Man, I wish we could, right? But it will end. God will work in all things for our good. He will bring every evil to an end. So if you're suffering or struggling or worried about the future, your trial will end. It will come to a conclusion. And if you believe in Jesus, it will be good. Everything's going to be okay. You hear me on this? Hear me on this? Because we learn from this passage very clearly that history is his story. He works in all things. He brings them to an end. He brings them to an end. And and listen to how he brings this one to an end. Verse 25. Verse 25. Talking about Antiochus, it says, He will destroy many and take his stand against the prince of princes. That's against even God himself. Yet... He will be destroyed, but not by human power. History um, tells us that Antiochus heard about the revolt going on in Jerusalem when they were taking back the temple and reconsecrating. So he was angry, so he got on his chariot, told him to drive fast, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he had these really painful bowel pains. Okay? So he's in excruciating pain in his bowels. So bad that he's like, you've got to go quicker. He tells him to go even faster on the chariot. And they go so fast that he falls out. Something happens when he falls because he stinks. It says he stinks so bad that his soldiers don't want to go anywhere near him, even to help him and put him on a stretcher. He stinks so bad, right? Just imagine the stench. And that's how he dies. That's a really crappy way to go out. That's how Antiochus dies. Not by human power. Nobody had to fight him. No one had to defeat him. God was just like, boop. He's done. It's almost like history is his story. Like he's writing this. Like he's planning it. Like everything that's predicted in this hundreds of years before it happened actually happened just like God had said. I think that this chapter has some of the most accurate predictions ever to take place. And God made every single one of them happen. Just like that. History is his story. And that's so important. In the chapters to come, we're going to look at some things more in the future. Well, some of you right now are like, when, where's the United States in this? Like, which animal are we? Like, okay, United States is not in the book of Daniel. I'm sorry. Burst your bubble. But let me tell you this. Each one of us, if we believe in Jesus, we are in this story. Because God's working in the history. He's working in our stories. He's working everything out, pulling the threads together. It's his plan all along. And he'll bring them to fruition. And that's so important because we get afraid, we get worried, we get stressed about the future and how things are going to work out. And God's got it all in his hands. It's going to be okay. And that's why I think we can actually learn from Daniel here at the very end of this chapter. Verse 27. He says, I, Daniel, was worn out. I lay exhausted for several days. Okay, this 
This vision just took it out of him. But then he says, then I got up and went about the king's business. Knocks him out for a little while, and then he's like, okay, I got to get back to work. You notice that? Gets back about the business of his life. He's in his 70s now. He knows that at some point the Babylonian Empire is going to be gone, but he still just gets back to work. He's living his life. We don't need to do crazy things because, oh, no, what's going to happen in the future? Do I need to get my bunker and become a prepper? Like, no, we don't need to do that. We need to live our lives just the way Jesus has called us to live every single day, loving our neighbors, serving our families, working hard with our own hands. We need to go about our business. This might be the best thing that you need to learn here today. Things get crazy, but God is working in history. And even if things get way worse, and I do believe that Jesus predicts that there's going to be another abomination of desolation that will happen in the future, something even worse than what Antiochus did. But even when that happens, if it's in our lifetime or not, history is his story. He's going to work it out. Go about your business. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Now, I love how accurate the, the predictions in this chapter are. It's a lot of history, right? We've covered so much history today. But it, it's his story the whole time. Now, some of you guys are like trying to predict who's going to win the Super Bowl tonight, right? Maybe you've seen these articles. Like, uh, I've seen some like, oh, like Chris, Chris, Chris Berman got it right last year. Like, what is he saying this year? Like, okay, he predicted one Super Bowl, and he, like a good guess, so we're going to think he's going to get it right this time. Do you remember the octopus back with the World Cup and like, the octopus for like eight World Cups predicted who was going to win. Like it's an octopus, okay? People do this for presidential elections. Oh, we know based on our statistical model who's going to do it. Some political scientist at some obscure college has predicted eight, you know, presidential elections. So we're all like, oh, are they going to get it right? And every single one of them gets it wrong eventually, right? We see this again and again and again. Every prediction's wrong. But every prediction God has given comes out right. It's almost like God knows the future. It's almost like God is writing the future. Because he is. He is, so we can trust him. You know, Mark Twain, Mark Twain once wrote that faith is believing what you know ain't so. <laughs> but J.P. Moreland, I think, gets it a little more accurate. Biblical faith is trust or confidence in something that is based on knowledge or good reasons. If all these predictions happen just like they were predicted, like, that's a God we can trust. Again and again and again, he gets every single thing right. That's what our faith is based on. Because what's even more incredible is the angel that comes to Daniel. I told you an angel interpreted all these visions to Daniel in this chapter in the second half. This is the first time in the entire Bible where an angel is named. You guys knew that. There's all these nameless angels throughout the Bible. But here for the first time, an angel is named, and his, he is named Gabriel. Gabriel. He, we're even told that he was actually an archangel. So he's one of the top angels in all of God's kingdom, one of his messengers, one of his supernatural beings. And Gabriel comes, and when he speaks, he tells Daniel what's going to happen, and then it happened, exactly like he said. Well, do you know the next time in the Bible where Gabriel shows up? It's in the New Testament. He, in Luke chapter 1, first, Gabriel comes to a man named Zechariah who's a very, very old priest. He and his wife are so old, they're way past childbearing years. And yet, the angel says to Zechariah, you're going to have a son, and he will be the one to make the way for the Messiah. And even in their old age and infertility, boom, what he said happened. John the Baptist was born, preparing the way for the Messiah. 
But Gabriel wasn't done. Then he went and appeared to this teenage virgin named Mary. And he told Mary that she, though she had not been with a man, was going to conceive by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that baby that she was going to have would be the Messiah who would be the Savior of the world. And just like Gabriel said, it happened. Jesus was born. The last thing Gabriel told Mary is that the word of God cannot fail. What God speaks through visions and through the prophets and through these angels, which are his spokesperson, every single thing happens. There's a promise, there's a fulfillment, there's a prediction, then it happens. That's how God works. And when Gabriel speaks, it happens because Jesus was born the savior of the world. And he came to love us, to serve us, to walk among us, and to do everything perfectly. And Jesus, though he had done nothing wrong, still was arrested by God's people, the high priest. And they accused him of crimes he did not commit and ultimately convicted him to be executed on a cross. And Jesus, the savior of the world, died in our place for our sins to forgive us. But we know God wrote the end of that story too. And three days later, Jesus rose from the dead, appeared to over 500 people over a span of 40 days before he ascended into heaven where he is sitting right now at the right hand of the throne of God. What's even more amazing is that Jesus made multiple predictions that he would come again. We haven't seen the end of that story yet, right? We're waiting for that history to take place, but it's going to. And you know what we're told in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4? What's going to happen before Jesus comes back? It says that we're going to hear the voice of the archangel. That's what it says. Now, we're not told which archangel, but I wonder if it's Gabriel again. I wonder if he's going to come again, just like he came to Daniel and said, these things are going to happen, and they happened. Like he said to Zechariah and to Mary, these are things are going to happen, and they happened. I wonder if he's going to come again and say, Jesus is coming. Get ready before Jesus finally arrives to make all things right. But we can look forward to that end, knowing that he's gonna work in all things for our good because every word of God comes true. Every prophecy gets fulfilled. A word of God cannot fail because God is trustworthy. It's his story. It's always been his story. So I hope that whatever you're going through right now, you can trust him for it. God will work in it, work things for good provided the money so we can fix our roof, didn't he? I've talked with people this week who, who, who have made it through cancer, that, that have money when they thought there was no way that they were going bankrupt and God provided. Talked with somebody who, who came to our country as a refugee and thought there's no way we'd get across the border. His family got separated and still miraculously God, God brought them all here together. These are people in our church. God is working in all things for the good of those who love him and he's working in all things for your good if you love him. So if you're already a follower of Jesus, you need to hold on to that faith for right now and for the future. But some of you need to hear this message because you have not put your faith in Jesus. And the promise that he will work in all things only applies to those who love him. Meaning you must make Jesus your Lord and Savior if you want him working in your life like that, behind the scenes, for good. So you've got to accept him as your Lord and Savior. So I want to give you the opportunity today to say a simple prayer to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, to confess that you're a sinner and receive that gift of eternal life and know that he's working in your life no matter what happens. So I'm going to give you opportunity to say that. So, so if you're able, please close your eyes right now. 
If you're a follower of Jesus, say this prayer out loud to give courage to somebody who needs to pray it for the first time. Please repeat after me. Dear God, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. Save me. Forgive me. In faith, I declare Jesus is Lord. Fill me with your spirit. Give me the gift of eternal life. Help me to follow you and trust you that you are working for good no matter what happens. Now with eyes closed, if you, you said that prayer for the first time, we just want to celebrate with you. So on the count of three, put your hands in the air on the count of three if you prayed that prayer for the first time. If today, for the first time, Jesus is your Lord and Savior. One, two, three. Put your hand in the air if you made that decision. We're going to celebrate with you. If you're online, you can go to risedenver.com slash follow. Um, Lord God, we're just grateful that you are good and you work all things for our good. You're writing our stories. You're writing all of human history. And no matter what happens, when bad people come, when coincidences happen, it's all your providence and you're working in them. So we trust you. We trust you. History is your story. Amen.